This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Secrets A to Z. I'm Anthony J. Resta, and I'm here with um, audio guru Bob St. John, and we're going to be celebrating the track, Michael, You've Got a Lot to Answer For, uh, on the Medazzaland album. This is going to be our final podcast on the series, and we're ready to jump in. I guess we'll listen to uh, Michael, You've Got a Lot to Answer For first, and then we'll just dive in. Hey, Bob. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's hear it.
Google track well, I forgot also. Uh, you know what? Yes. I was overcome with goosebumps and um, and flooded with like so many emotions. I can't even tell you. I just this, this one really hit me hard. I just I I, I I can't I can't explain it. I almost feel like I'm gonna cry. I I I, I just had all these weird visions. Like I I it's it. You know, this is what what hit me so hard was that. Well, there's so many things, but the ending, I remember playing a tello, a telly that Nuno gave me through through a Roland GP100, and working on that sound for hours, that tremolo guitar sound, and and trying to I, hit until those, this moment. I didn't know you played it. How about that? Yeah, yeah. That's that's all me. I mean, that whole thing was sort of like I wanted it to sound like Tibetan monks ringing a bell, in in sort of like a. A ceremony to celebrate Michael Hutchinson's life. Let me just, we'll get back to this quickly, but I want to re read something that Simon said in a Q Magazine interview in 2008 about this song. Mm -hmm. He said that Michael, you've got a lot to answer for, was about Michael being a naughty boy in the south of France and London when he was living with Polly Yates. He did love his substances. I couldn't keep up with him. No way. We all know that Michael loved drugs. In the same interview, he revealed that Medazzaland album was named after the anesthetic he'd been prescribed for dental work. And it's the name of the sort of suspended consciousness you get when you've intravenously fed Medazolam. Yes, I know it sounds a bit wayward, but it's genuinely weird. You are sentiment, but numb. And afterwards, you can't remember a thing that went on. So that that's a really cool uh, thing from simon i just wanted to in in inject I, I, that i want you inject. to think of this okay you've been drinking with simon imagine yeah. simon saying somebody can out drink him <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want you to think yeah, about so that, that for a minute <laughs> yeah that, that that does say something so yeah that whole thing at the end with the tibetan bell ringing in my head and and trying to get that telly sound and without pro tools trying to hit those hits that they had on some that must have been tinley and nick um that created the sort of those hits right right i don't even know if it was intended to be as part of the song i really don't remember that but i mean i just was flooded with like that the, the screen of the gp100 and there's all these menus and like with tweed and this Wait, where did you and that do that and did that. you do that in in london did you do that at your studio or at sound techniques or yeah I, it, it feels like i did it at my studio but I don't know how that would be possible. I mean, possible. that's the only so, thing I can imagine you having that amount of time to, to yeah, do it. to dial without, in. Without me wondering what you were doing or anything like that, you know? But but we didn't have dat, ADAT slaves back then, did we? I, yeah, I used you to do easily, stuff. You, I, easily could have, you easily could have done that free form without yeah, it um, yeah. and then just I, locked I, it I in I honestly later. don't remember that part, but... But I remember the sound, and uh, I, it's a very special telly that was um, built by Leo Fender. Uh, it's an early G&L, and it's like a kind of a historical piece. Um, see, I, I just was, I forgot all about it, and it was like I was seeing the screen of the GP100. I mean, that, that b box changed my life. I mean, it was like, so th that's at the end. Now let's, r like, rewind to the beginning. Um, more memories of this song were the day that Simon and... Um, John Taylor came to the studio and I remember cutting live drums to this and the reason I remember is because I had a very elaborate chart and this is fascinating people will love this the reason why this song has bars of 11 8 13 8 9 8 and 6 8 and 12 8 is because um, the song was cut live Simon sang through SM 57 in the studio to Warren playing an acoustic guitar and because Simon kept sort of shifting his lyrics and his, right. the way he was right. singing it and 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 Warren was just playing along it ended up mapping it out that way 
and see yeah, it I was, when I was just click. listening to it I couldn't follow it and I, I just remember it being very polymetric I wish I had the chart that I used because I, I had to write it all out there was no way I could uh, remember all that and I remember that that little fill into the end with the right the symbols and everything that so had to have the, been this done has to be the thing that John recorded when he came to Boston that's where yeah, it had to be. I think so. But we had to have the drum yep. track on it by then. I think we did the drum track in Boston. I, I, I have a vague remembrance of that. It's like with multi-rods yeah. or something. There, yes, yes, yeah. You can you can hear it. And there, what a great kick drum sound you got. Do you remember how you did that? That was your Noble um, and Cooley, correct? Yes. And wow, I, I think that, that kick, was that... actually your drum. It wasn't any sample Tom Foolery or, Foolery or anything like that. It was actually what we has, recorded. You can hear the two heads yeah. on it because it's got it was a it's an oversized uh, twenty inch kick. It's like a regular diameter, but it's very deep. It's really deep. That's kinda, right. That's right. I'm sure that. I had two mics on it at that time. I probably stuck one around the front and one around the back. It sounds wonderful. I was listening, just hearing it now for the first time, and it's been years since when I we to this when we received just, that song originally. Did it have drums on it? I'm, I'm trying no, to. Remember. I don't think so. I can't imagine it. I don't think drums so. On it. I don't think it did. And I remember going through a Steve Gadd um, sample CD that I had of all these brush grooves. And I think right. I ended up making a loop out of that for the for the verse out of that. Um, right. I hope Steve's not listening. Right. Um, he'll probably get sued. Um, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Steve, we love you. All right. Yeah, let's change the subject. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about any drum grooves. Yeah, me neither. Um, I still have the DVD. Um, so, yeah, so that was the drums. And, and then now Ted Paddock uh, must have recorded. Ted recorded that. I, I remember that vividly because I was so we were okay. so deep and out of, out of my mind at that point. It was right around that time. And and I don't know why I wouldn't want to record that. But, you know, I, Some, I, I don't think yeah. my head was around that. That's really what it was. See, we were not witnesses to that, so it's really hard. I've been in a few arguments, not arguments, but like I've had fans DM me say, John didn't play on that. And it's like, you know, we weren't in the room. So, and I, you know. No, here, I now I'm positive John. that was John. The, 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 that's yeah, what we too. had to do when yeah. he was there. Uh, I can't okay. think of anything else he it's would beautiful. have recorded except that. Great bass sound. Great bass sound. Yeah. Yeah. Why do I have a funny feeling that we played part of it together in the studio? I, why do I feel like he was there? It's a strong I, I, I'm, possibility. Maybe I'm just fantasizing. No, it's, it's I, a, I, but it's the like, thing is... I remember thinking, I, I remember being nervous and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to play with John Taylor. I remember thinking that, but I don't remember actually doing it. It's just it's so bizarre. But then, but somebody had to be in with Ted. We wouldn't have just left that on its own. We so, might have been just jamming ideas or something yeah. and then Ted recorded it in the other room. Yeah. I just don't remember. I'd love to talk to John about it and see what he remembers because I was kind of hazy at that point in time, at that uh, particular day. For instance, I mean that's why I'm so emotional about this this track. Yeah. It's and there's so much going on. It's just so lush and beautiful, and that that acoustic guitar sound is just you know. I don't um, tell tell us a little bit about it, some the, of the, the things. The, you when treated. you listen to that track, there's something that, and I remember mixing it. It's very hypnotic, even though even though it's polymetric and you know a no carbon based life form is going to follow that, except you. But yeah, your Tony tension from another dimension. So, um, <laughs> I, um, listening to it, it feels like it just floats. It's one of these things where it's. And now I never knew the story of how they recorded it until now. That explains why it feels okay. like Simon's just floating around with the guitar. And when you try to sing to yeah. it, you can't. 
If you're listening to the guitar, you can't. I remember that being an SM57 and being amazed that you got that vocal sound out of a, yeah. a 57. I mean, that that alone is a podcast. I mean, once you talk about it a little bit. You can, you can definitely get some warmth out of it if you're not screaming into it. And just, you know, I've, I've used them before for heavy metal projects all the time, you know. Um, who was it? I think it was uh, on, on the Skid Row album. I think it was on the first Skid Row album. It was either 57 or 58 he used, uh, Michael Wagner used, on his voice because that's what felt best for him to sing to. And I know we recorded bands sometimes where, you know, you put mics up and it's like, which one's going to be best? You know, you actually, yeah. you actually just never know. And there it is, you know. And it does have a very interesting, intimate sound that's different from, from the other ones. You know, it's wonderful. I mean, do you remember anything else about the treatment, like the compression and everything so smooth and beautiful? It's interesting. Listening to it, it's not over compressed or anything. It just feels like it floats in the track. And that's, you know, I think that's Simon's mic technique on it more than anything. Um, yeah. You know, that's the problem with the 57. You, you can't be like moving around a lot on it because you, yeah. you instantly all the body will go out of your voice. So, right, so I'm guessing he just put. stood there when they were recording. I mean, maybe Tenley could tell you how they did it. If you just stood there yeah. when either he, he couldn't have been holding it, but you know, just stood there and sang into it. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's truly something sound. just caught in time, and when you listen to it, you get that vibe of it. Yeah, and there, there's a, there's kind of a DBX feeling to that compression. I, would you have used a DBX? Most um, most likely, that, that's what I always used a 165 on that stuff. And it, let me think yeah. if if I could just remember where we mixed it, it would be easier for yeah. me to decipher right now. Yeah. Um, because I, I I have a feeling it was upstairs at Metropolis for some reason, but I can't tell you why. Yeah. I don't remember doing that. It was either upstairs at Metropolis or it was at Sound Techniques. Um, I can remember yeah. being like late at night listening to that hypnotic guitar and almost falling asleep on the console because it has that effect wow. on you. Um, yeah. And this is definitely a song we mixed at night. It's it's not one of those yeah. songs you would work all day on. And it wasn't a really yeah. complicated mix. There's not that much music there, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful um, string pads and things um, from, from Nick. Um, there's those analog. Mm -hmm. I remember he used like things like the Krumar... I remember the Krumar being on the track sheet. Mm -hmm. um, I wish we had the track sheets. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, anyway, I, I remember him using some analog right. uh, string machines, Arp, Arp, Arp Omni maybe. Yeah, and I remember I the Krumar. I, I remember, the, I remember yeah. it on the track sheet because it's just a unique name to see. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful work. I mean, I, I forgot. This is kind of like a... A forgotten gem, and it's the funny that it's the the second to the last track we discussed. I because I, I really what, what's crazy is about you know, as we talk about these songs, you forget they all exist on the same disc together. Yeah. It is a very adventurous record to listen to. It's an experience. Um, you know, in the old days when people used to buy and listen to entire records, and so and you know, the people forget that that the way an artist puts together a disc is actually very important. It would be like watching a movie with the scenes edited out of sequence. Um, I don't think nowadays where kids just buy singles, you know, they'll have a single that yeah. drops and they'll grab that one and they'll grab another one. And you never really get to hear it as conceptually as one thing. When you think of like, you know, how yeah. Simon's description was about, about the, you know, anesthesia and you start to think about the record and you start listening to it, it makes a lot more sense. 
to you, doesn't it? That's really uh, cool. That's like we grew up in that era. I mean, I remember like lying on my back on the floor of my room with big, ugly green cost headphones, like listening to, you know, Dark Side of the Moon from start to finish, you know? Yeah, that's um, that. That's what you, you would you do. And, and the funny thing is, you know, you hear records like that now, even when you hear just a single song playing on the radio or in a stream, you, your mind automatically thinks of the track that's to follow or the track that was previous, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't oh, think yeah. we're getting that as much now on discs because no. people don't listen to them. And of course, you know, you can get you can listen to them out of sequence anytime you like, which to me, from an artistic standpoint, is blasphemy. You know, would you <laughs> would you listen to Medazzaland skipping Medazzaland first, and you know, just decide no, I'm going to jump in. You know, I'm going to jump into Big Bang Generation instead. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it wouldn't work. No, it does have a concept album feeling. Um, and people need to realize that, that it's meant to have that ebb and flow when it goes from the beginning. And it kind of takes you on a journey through the track. You know, it's uh, this is a good time to interject a couple of um, I just got DMs today because mm-hmm. I posted on Instagram that episode five is up. And like almost immediately, I got several DMs from people. And this one really blew my mind. It said, um, I told my f- best friend at the time that. Medazzaland was like Sergeant Pepper's being channeled from space through the future of Duran Duran. And I just, it was just like so poetic and, and <laughs> wild that these, these people are coming to me with all these wonderful stories. Here's one more. Uh, I had just moved to Vancouver and had discovered LSD. And so my first experience with Medazzaland was a complete journey in my head. Those murky, magical swamp sounds that felt like they were littered with pixie dust really was an amazing album and what you guys achieved with this. That's really I mean, flattering. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I've, I've got like dozens of these. I'm just saving them all into a folder. I've actually been posting some of them. Cool. Um, it's just I, wonderful. And I post, I post them with the people's like, uh, you know, account icon so that they get credit for it, for saying it. So it's just wonderful that this whole thing is open. I mean, looking so back on new. it, there's definitely, I feel there's some LSD pixie dust in there somewhere. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can picture that. <laughs> Wow. Even even though yes. in our case, I think it was, I really think it was just cognac and espresso. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> now the format on this song, I know most of the songs were uh, twenty four track analog mm-hmm. or forty eight track analog. Do you remember if this was bounced to a, a Sony um, um, or if it was the, the way we worked on all of these is um, they all ended up they all ended up on the on the Sony no matter what they were because because okay. of the Dolby SR. And the thing is that most of the okay. stuff, the most of the drum tracks we had tossed anyhow. So we had a 48-track yeah. digital running, and a 24-track analog had all of the sounds that we added on it. That was all of the stuff okay. that you did, all of the loops. Yeah. Um, so those two yeah. machines were synced because it, this way you kept them organized because we knew where their files were and where the stuff that we were doing oh, was. I see. Yeah, it I was remember, always like I remember that. you... It's tough to do vocal rides when you have a twenty-four track machine chasing. Um, I, I, I was thinking, know. I was, I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and I'm like, "Wow, you forget." The last time I was in a studio was in 2018 at Criteria, and I was mixing on the 9000J. And even though we were working in Pro Tools, the concept of having a machine chase and then having to work with your automation and I, we've forgotten what this was like because the thing is, when we were when we mix now. It's basically you just push play and you have audio. 
and you say, oh, oh, I missed that. Then you hit play again and you instantly go back to where you were. No waiting, no locking, no machines going. And then by the time you've got lock, it's past the spot you want to fix. So you keep going backwards. I mean, now at the age of 59, it would take me about a month and a half to mix a song like that because I forget shit like within 15 yeah. seconds. But so I, we, we tend to forget that, that that can be time consuming. And that was the way all yeah. of this stuff worked. We always had to wait for the uh, 24 track to lock with the digital. I mean, digital would start playing, but the, if the 24 track wasn't there, you'd actually have to just stop and go back and keep going back further. First it was 15 seconds, then it was 20 seconds. And if it was any longer than 30 seconds, you know, by the time I got to what I wanted to do, I, I was out fishing. So Did you ever um like say, okay, just for doing these vocal rides in the verses or whatever, like let's let's let shut the 24 track machine off so I can just do these rides. Yeah, I've done and that. Go back. But what I would do is I would just ignore it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy because while, while you were trying to work, you'd be trying to write a vocal level in and the machine would be going. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you say, all right, well, let's go hear it. And it was usually okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's no different than having seventeen people in the control room having a conversation. It's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> if, I mean, if you can survive, if you can survive through like you know four band members having a loud argument behind you, you can do this. That just reminded me of a story that I probably shouldn't tell, but I will since it's the last episode. <laughs> I remember one one time we were in Studio B in uh, Metropolis, mm -hmm. and I don't remember what mix it was. It might have been Be My Icon. Um, I, I can't remember, but Warren and Simon were in the room and S Warren went out to, to go to the bathroom and pee or something. And I don't know if it was me or Simon got the idea. Let's switch the VCAs to where it says vocals, make that guitar and where it says guitar, make that vocals. <laughs> and so we did that to play a joke on Warren, which was really, really mean. So Warren came back and he said, more guitar. And then the minute you push that fader up, which was really more vocals, Simon started laughing so hard he was crying and he got on the ground and was kicking his feet and his arms and legs and Warren was so mad and he walked out of the room. Do you remember yeah, it now? I guess it was kind of juvenile. Yeah. What are we, in kindergarten? I mean, that was the only time we did something that dumb and I hope it wasn't my idea. I know, that wasn't your idea, but you know, I, I, okay. I, had, to, I had to be a co-conspirator because I would have been the only person who could swap them. So yeah. I'm sure I jumped around. I didn't know it was going to piss Warren off. <laughs> yeah, that just happened. I mean, I forgot all about that until just now. Just like it's, this, this podcast has been really like emotional. It's all these things that you, that, it's like we're in therapy of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> Undergoing treatment. Wonderful. <laughs> Undergoing treatment. <laughs> Do you remember anything else, Bob, in, uh, about the, the, the vocal chain or any of the stuff you did with uh, vocal, the studio uh, for I, mixing? I mean, that, I mean, based on how I did things, that was either a 165 or an LA2. That's the only things that made yeah. that sound that weren't making that constant, you know, thwapping, popping noise that you get out of compressors that seems or, to be or so the, popular. Or the, uh, the con or, or the C's that rip your head off, you know? Yeah. yeah. The letter C's, like certain consonants, it's like, ouch. Yeah. I mean, back then we didn't have yeah. like, a million DSers to pick from, so I always use the DBX. I was thinking it was the 902 DSer, nine, whatever, maybe 902. Oh, I remember those. They have a plug-in now that's exactly I a, like I, it. I, does it sound the same? Uh, Is that Universal Audio? Um, no, it's a, it's actually from uh, Plugin Alliance. 
Um, the same people. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, I can't think of the name of the company off the top of yep. my head. I can see it. Um, I need to get that. We have that. And honestly, I mean, I've you know we've got a million kinds of DSers. That one's like an old friend. And it behaves exactly yeah. the same way. You, you, we forgot how wide the band was we DS'd because we've been able to focus on it so much now. But you, you have it DSing like down to like three, two and a half, three K. I mean, because a really simple C or uh, S or C will really rattle your face. I mean, the style yeah. of mixing was a little different then. It wasn't quite as bright as it is now. Yeah. You know, um, but EQ and that was, of course, that was on the SSO on the board. You know, I have to say, from for me as a mixer, the, the you know the four thousand G has still have be my favorite. I didn't enjoy mixing on the nine thousand so much over Criteria. Um, just didn't like the EQs. You know, maybe does the G? Mm-hmm. Sorry, does the G have the bell ones? Yeah, yeah. But that, you can select okay. it. It's just the the you know the, the EQs on the EQs on the G sound a little more pleasant to me. You know, um, yep. and and of course that's you know from mixing now that most of what the plugins I use are either SSL UAD or or Plugin Alliance SSLs, which all sound all sound amazing to me. Um, but they're like that's old great. friends, and I and yeah, I don't even like the SSL nine thousand plugins. <laughs> so it's a it's a certain wow. quality to it that, and maybe because we yep. mix so many songs through them, that's that could have something yep. to do with it that we're just used to it. Sure, you know. But I, I loved loved working on that console. I loved working in that studio. It was just it was just such a great time, you know. Sometimes I think it would it wouldn't what it would be like to just go back there and do it again. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But with the it's knowledge, you know, place. when you're young, you don't feel like this is ever going to end, you know. Yep. Or the other part of it is, you know, we got to be cool. We got to act like, yeah, of course I work with Simon the Bond every day. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> When we really don't. <laughs> that was funny. The, I remember the first time I showed up at Metropolis for um, for thank you. The very first mm-hmm. day, I, I arrived at the studio, and like I said, I, I told you I had um, a Mac Classic in a bag over my shoulder yes. and an Akai sampler under my arm. Don't forget, and you had your like, you had your interface too, the uh, MIDI interface. Oh yeah, the Studio Five. Yes, or, exactly. Like, studio Four. Exactly. And, and the guy's like, "Where's your stuff?" And I'm like, "This is it." And that was that was the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I bring my so, speakers? So many great I memories. brought my speakers. I yeah. brought those digital design you speakers did, didn't with you? me. Yes, did, uh, for did, for uh, for thank you, not for Medazzle. Okay, yeah, because what were those? Tell us about those speakers. Those, those I used those for for a couple of years. That, that goes back to like Extreme Three. I don't think that company's oh, wow. in business anymore. They're a little, the little, they're like NS10s that didn't hurt your ears. And then by the time we mixed Medazzle okay. in, I was just um, disenchanted with them. And I mixed there mainly on the General X on the wall and then the General X that were on the console, the 1092s, I think, ones I use all the still okay. to this day. And um, yep. uh, I remember when we came back from London listening to it because the test for all this stuff was in my car. Remember? The stereo yep. in my Oh, audio. your car was unbelievable, that stereo. Oh, my incredible. God. Cave your head yeah. in. And I was disappointed with the mixes because I got thrown by the Gentle X, which tend to be a little bit too warm in their own way. And uh, yep. and I was really concerned about it. But uh, Dave Collins rescued us with that because I love Dave what he Collins. did with that record, Mastering. It was when he was at A&M still, I think. That's right. And Dave's wonderful. And he used to use the uh, the 102 a lot, the Atari. Do you think he did that for for these, or did we have a tar? Do you did you print um, everything? To yeah, half everything inch? on that was printed on half inch at thirty ips. That's what uh, I they thought. had an ATR. Yeah. That's what you're thinking of the ATR, the MPEX. Yeah, um, that's it. And, yeah, and uh, Dave Dave had a hot rotted one. He had a hot rotted one. Yeah, 
um, that was really special. And yeah, he we yeah, I'm glad we brought him up on the last episode. He should listen to this and realize that um, you know we we're, we're um, I, you know, I've, saying I've his thanked him a number of times profusely because I remember being like the mixes sounded very flat to me at home. Okay. And it was just, you know, monitoring environment had thrown us off. And once he mastered it, it was like, oh yeah, that's what I meant. Of course that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's, you know, this is a, a good opportunity to, for young people listening, um, you know, and, and maybe it sounds really old school, but you know, when you have somebody that's got 20, 30 years experience, um, mastering your record on gear that costs more than a house it, you know it, it does make a difference and today there's a kind of this feeling like oh i can master it myself i, I i've got them isotope plugins you know it's like it's the it, you know i hate to sound like old school but there really is something to letting somebody that's not connected to the project who has a complete unbiased they they've got no emotional baggage about any of the sounds they have no memories and they just go in there and they that's how you elevate your art and i think young people should you know, considering spending two hundred dollars uh, and getting it done by somebody like Dave, or yeah, you know, um, and these guys aren't Brian as expensive or, as yeah. people believe them to be. And sure, they negotiate. The, yeah. the, well, you know, the the stuff that they can do with their ears more than any one thing is with their ears because I feel like these guys could do whatever they could do on a computer if they chose to. You know, it's the same way with us with right. mixing, same way with us with programming and all yep. of that stuff. It's your ultimately your skill is what matters because I always consider digital to be the great equalizer. I think in analog, if you yep. suck, you can kind of get away with it. But in digital, if you suck, you just suck. And, you know, yeah. and it makes a big difference. I, I'm, I condone that You suck that pristinely. <laughs> you, you suck pristinely. Uh, <laughs> you suck. And uh, we can really hear well, that you suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not covering that uh, with 1-800, no... 1-800-BOBCO-AUDIO. <laughs> you're, co- you're not covering that with no analog goodness. <laughs> Gooiness, yeah. Well, this has been wonderful, man. It's a, this is kind of it's like we finally we really got our stride going on these. We have to do another album. Like I was thinking, maybe Dosage or Schizophonic. We'll do some more stuff. Cool. You Schizophonic know? is you know. a story all into itself. Oh my God! There's so many great stories. That, on that, that. makes any We'd that makes any of these records not seem arduous. <laughs> well, thanks. Be, for coming you know by, the man. thing is, that, and I'm glad we touched on all the stories about the stuff that we did while we were there because it's you know the thing is. Oh. People see this job as, you know, wow, you get to work with famous people and that sort of thing. And that is, that's actually the perk. The fun of it is when you're going someplace, like we were in London for eight weeks working on Metasso yeah. Man, which that, yeah. if anybody knows anything about doing records, that's a really long time to mix a record. And we weren't primarily mixing, we were reinventing it. Post-production. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but the thing is, the time we spent in Chiswick, and just going out for breakfast or just going out for dinner and all of that stuff, that's part of what makes the experience the experience, you know? Yeah. And to me, yeah. that makes us the luckiest guys on earth. What can I say? And I've really enjoyed this too. Me too, man. That's great. And that's why we need a t-shirt that says different toast. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to go back and listen to all the podcasts uh, to, to understand to, to what dig that out means. That. That's, that's a, yeah. And if you do, you'll find, yeah, that's a that's studio secrets, um, uh, Easter yeah. egg. You'll exactly. have to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, man. And I'm going to stay on and do a little bit on Silva Halo, but, um, we'll, we'll be in touch soon and thanks for coming. All by. right, JR. Talk Love to you man. soon. Bye. Yeah. So we're going to jump into the second part of the podcast on the track Silva Halo. I did this on a, a day off uh, with Tinley and Warren and uh, Nick at Privacy Studios in Battersea. So we're going to um, 
go into that in a little bit, but first let's just give it a listen. that's a really cool track it's really um kind of a little bit avant-garde in its own way it's it's just beautiful we um met at uh warren's studio privacy in battersea that day i, I remember i got a, a a cab and i went there and that was the day that i got out of the car and people knew my name and um it was just weird seeing a crowd of people hanging outside like not a crowd maybe seven or eight people and they said hey anthony and i was like wow that's creepy you know because it was like how do they know who i am and I walked into the Warren studio and, and Tinley and Nick and Warren were in there and we just right away just, to, you know, they had the, the vocal and Warren's uh, cut up guitar there, that jit, 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 jit thing, which was, you know, from his jam man, um, one of his loops and stuff. So that's what they were working on. And uh, so we sat down and just said, well, just started kind of experimenting and Nick brought out um, his little synthy A in a case. It's this like EMS synthesizer and it's got blue keys that are plastic. They, they You slide your fingers on them or touch them. They're, it's like a touchpad. It's not like a conventional keyboard. I had never seen anything like that. It had a pin matrix where you could do the patches with little pins and uh, it, it's well known from uh, Pink Floyd's use of it on Dark Side of the Moon and stuff. I had never seen one and it just blew my mind. I was just instantly mesmerized by, you know, I'm a gear gearaholic so I was just like oh my god that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life so I, I became sort of infatuated with that synth from that point on we 
go into that a little bit later. But um, so, yeah, we're just playing around with it, making different sounds. And I, I started the um, uh, the groove was um, a bunch of orchestral percussion sounds uh, that Tinley brought up. So, you know, he had an orchestral bass drum, all these things. And that's when I started just kind of jamming to Warren's um, guitar loop. And it's like a, it's a orchestral bass drum, a little bit of timpani, some analog beatbox stuff. And it, we just put it in one layer at a time. And it, it came together pretty quickly. Um, Nick was making all those really wonderful, weird EMS sounds. And we just printed a bunch of stuff. And it was a Sunday. I remember a Sunday afternoon. And it was my day off. So we were just hanging out. And uh, that was a, it's a magical memory. There's not really a lot to the story. That's why I kind of made it a, an addendum. Um, because it was, you know, probably four or five hours and then and then you know eventually uh tinley ended up mixing this track i think um so yeah I, it was i didn't really wasn't privy to the 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 last part of the the process but i i like i said there's a the ems synthesizer um the synthier and the putney which is all the vcs3 um i've been really infatuated with them for a while there's a company called xils lab they make um uh, a, a, a virtual version that's absolutely phenomenal and uh, um, you got to check them out XILS Lab uh, I, I love their their plugin it's it's fantastic and Arturia has a really nice one as well for the Synthie A uh, and recently I got my first hardware version of it from a company in uh, Latvia um, called Synth uh, uh, what are they called Erica Synths and uh, they 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 built one, and it's a, it's like a tank. It's it's amazing. It's a it's a really interesting story about how I ended up getting it. But it's I've been using it. Uh, it makes such interesting analog bleeps and whooshes and swirls and things. It's just magnificent. But anyway, that's Silver Halo. I love Simon's vocal on it. I had a little bit of information that I looked up that was really interesting. I didn't realize that this was released as a flip side of a single for the Out of My Mind soundtrack. Um, it was included on the single, which I need to get. I have a collection of all this stuff, and it was Out of My Mind, Silver Halo, Sinner Earth Saint, and then the electric remix of Out of My Mind. Oh, I actually, somebody just sent this to me. I just got this this week. That's funny. I'll have to check it out. But, um, yeah, I just got this in the mail, which was I'm, it's wonderful that all these people helping out here because I, I mentioned in one of the podcasts that I didn't have it, and somebody sent it. So bizarre. So cool. Um so yeah, that that's the kind of this is kind of the end of our Medazzaland. Um, you know, stay here. We've been through all the tracks. Um, somebody mentioned to me today on Instagram that um, I should mention that this album was not released in the UK, which is really interesting. Um, uh, it, it was many years later that it was. Uh, this was going to be their uh, first. Um, that was released. The single was released on Virgin Records without out of my mind. EMI had at that time. Been an imp- it was the first time Duran had ever released anything on, on an imprint other than EMI Parlophone. Capital Harvest for North America, Silver Halo was included. So yeah, it's it's a historical release because it was like the first time they had ever done something with another label like this. And I don't know what the nuts and bolts of the deal were with um, Medazzaland not coming out in the UK, but I remember it was a very expensive import from Japan. And a lot of people got those early Japan versions, which have like, you know, bonus tracks and stuff like that. So anyway... This is the conclusion of our Medazzaland series. I hate to hear it, see it come to an end, but we're going to be doing lots of other fun stuff. There's so many things coming up. We've got, you know, I want to do something with a Tracy Bonham, a track that we've unearthed um, from 20 years ago. And, you know, we can do some stuff on the Blondie things that TV Mania did, um, the TV Mania itself, Collective Soul, Nuno Betancourt's solo album, Schizophonic. There's, I don't even know where to go next, but I've got a couple of weeks to figure it out. 
And you guys can uh, check in back on all that and we'll stay in touch. Thanks for all the wonderful DMs. Um, you can email us at the studio secrets a to z.com. And thank you for uh, keeping in touch. Also, we're going to be doing a really cool um, special like um, behind the scenes room, like a sort of like an insider's club um, through Patreon to support the channel. So we'll be getting that together shortly too. And it'll be a lot of uh, inside information you know, content, you know, sounds, samples that we can share, things like that. So yes, yeah, stay tuned for more good stuff. Thanks guys. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.